Good morning, faith family. There is something about a full church all together on a Sunday morning singing that God is altogether good, that just does something good to my soul. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Uh, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, uh, my name is Christoph. I am the minister to youth and families here at Faith. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, um, you're going to need one. There are some in the back. There are some at the end of aisles. If you see someone around you who does not have a Bible, who is looking for a Bible, um, grab one of those boxes, pass it down to somebody. We are going to be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. Acts chapter 16. We are going to go through verses 6 through 15. So I'll give you a moment to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 or open up your smartphones or tablets to Acts 16. I, I feel like I, I hear less rustling of pages and more silent clicking of buttons. Not even, how do you hear silent clicking of buttons? You don't. Anyways, <laughs> this section is going to kick off Paul's second missionary journey. The big themes we are coming out of uh, into, into the second missionary journey and out of Acts chapter 15 and last week as we read through um, Galatians is this. Um, the introduction of the Gentiles into God's family, that the gospel of Jesus, his good news is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And then the second big theme is a drilling down on what the gospel exactly is. What is this good news that is for everyone? And the good news is this, that Jesus alone is sufficient to save. And the question then is to save from what? The sin and brokenness that plagues the world. All of the brokenness that comes from within and from around. So, what must we do to get this Jesus? Nothing. Anything plus Jesus is no salvation at all. It is truly Jesus alone that saves. There is nothing we could bring to the table that would merit our salvation, even and especially the things that we believe help us merit our salvation. The spiritual things that we do are not for our salvation, but instead they are meant to point us to the one who saves. Praying does not save you. However, it does point you to the one who saves, that is Jesus. The Bible does not save you, but it points you to the one who does, Jesus. And that is what we are coming out of as we enter into Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. Um, we're going to read this section in its entirety, and then we're going to take some time to break it down and break down what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this morning. Lord, thank you for the beautiful music this morning. Thank you for your table, for the reminder of, of the work you did on the cross. Lord, thank you that you gave us a tangible, physical uh, means by which we could remember the work you did that not only is it something that happens in our brain and knowledge that we get, but we, we taste it, we touch it, we feel it, we partake in it with one another. Lord, thank you so much for that. God, I pray that as we approach your word this morning, that you would speak clearly. Lord, I pray that you would help me to uh, just communicate clearly what you have uh, for us this morning here at Faith. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to see and love those around us more. Lord, help us to be, people, be the people that you've called us to be. We love you. We trust you. Humble us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, going through 15. 
And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately he sought out to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samoreth, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women that had gathered. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So immediately we are met with a really interesting start to Paul's second missionary journey. It says that Paul wanted to preach the word through the province of Asia, but then we read that the Holy Spirit forbids him from doing that. Uh, this would have been a part of the Roman Empire that contained the city Ephesus, which was the capital city of the province of Asia. It was a major trade city, meaning a lot of people went in and out. It, was, it held a temple that was one of the seven wonders of the world. Paul had his eyes on this city and region, and it shouldn't be surprising why. This was a prime area for the gospel to be preached. He believed that God could do huge things within this city and that they needed the gospel of Jesus. But despite his desires, we read that the, script, that the Spirit forbids him from going. And I remember my first time ever reading this passage, and I was like, what, what does that mean? What, what did it look like for the Holy Spirit to forbid Paul from traveling to this region? He was obviously commissioned as a missionary. This was a part of his gig. What, what stopped him from going? Were he and his companions walking and suddenly met with an invisible wall and they just slammed into it like a mime? Did the Spirit give him an audible no? I think, as I've experienced more life, I've come to appreciate the fact that we're not given the means behind why, because we experience these moments in life where we have a desire, and for whatever reason, we are denied that desire. The question isn't what it looked like for the Spirit to deny him access to Asia, but rather how did Paul and his companions embrace the path that God sent them on? We read right after that, not only does, Paul, does, does he get denied access into Asia, but then he is denied access again. In verse 7, it happens again. And when they had come up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Come on, what's going on? Some of you might ex understand this exact sentiment right here. They're, they're not selfish. They don't seem like selfish desires. The desire is to go into this specific region and preach the word of God. Some of you in here may have had similar dreams and desires for what it looks like to make an impact here in our communities. And the Lord just kept denying you in one way or another. What's the deal with that? I think there is a really important principle that's being taught here, and it's going to be kind of the core 
principle that I want to zero in on over the course of this morning, and that is contentment. I think it is important for Christians to practice contentment. I love the stock definition of contentment. It is basically this. Contentment is a state of happiness or satisfaction. And I would take out the word happy and maybe put in the word joy just because I like the word joy a little bit better, but a state of joy or satisfaction. And I love this definition, not because I think it's a great definition, but because I believe it is completely impossible to be content outside of a walking relationship with Jesus Christ. Check out 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, uh, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, is not suggesting that it's wrong to want food or clothing. Rather, he is hitting on this incredibly important principle. Any sort of contentment, happiness, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment outside of Jesus is hollow. We cannot bring food, clothing into this world, and we cannot take it with us when we die. So why would we find joy and satisfaction in it? When we have contentment in Christ, the moments when the Holy Spirit denies us of something that we desire will not seem like God is withholding something from us, but rather that God has something that's better for us than we could even imagine. And scripture is filled with this promise, right? Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or what about Romans 8, 32? He, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Or Matthew 7, 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What I love about Paul's second missionary journey is that he is immediately required to practice godly contentment because of the ministry that he was carrying out. It wasn't his ministry. It was the Lord's ministry. It was God's. He knew exactly what he was doing. Paul was humbled. He needed to be recognized that he is not God. God is God, and God's ways are better than our ways. God's ways are better than Paul's ways. All right, so some of you may hear this and go, listen, this is all well and good in practice when our desires are like neutral or they seem like they're good, but what about when we're facing hardship? How and why do I practice godly contentment in the light of pain that I have had to go through? How do I practice contentment when I am given a terminal diagnosis? How do I practice contentment when a loved one of mine passes away? Some of you have experienced incredible pain and loss. And you have asked the Lord many, many times not to experience that pain or loss. And the ask for contentment may seem extreme in this moment, but I believe that God's promise still remains true. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The promise of godly contentment, satisfaction, joy, fulfillment in Christ is that when we are weak, He is strong. It is in these moments of life when we are forced to rest in Him. There are many of you in here right now who may be going through trials that are like this. You are feeling the weight of the world. You feel like that camel whose back, if it just has one more straw that rests upon it, you are going to buckle and break. And I am pleading to you, run to Jesus for your contentment. Run to Jesus for your fulfillment. Run to Jesus for your fulfillment. Any other promises of this world will not fulfill you. Any other promises of this world cannot take the place that only Jesus promises to fill. It can be so tempting to allow, uh, to, to allow the allures of this world to fill that void. Substances that dull the pain, entertainment that gives you moment of escapes, pleasures of the world that give shallow and momentary happiness, jobs that promise fulfillment. All of these are hollow and cannot produce godly contentment. I'm not saying... These are bad things. These are gifts that are given by God. But when they take the place that only God can give, they will fail you. They will break you. And they will leave you needing more. I hope that I have given a case for the need for godly contentment in our lives. With that in mind, let's continue on with Acts chapter 16. We're going to go forward. We, we talked about the Spirit denying them, and now we are going to see what comes after that. So verses 8 through 10 say, So passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It is evidently a good thing that Paul did not press the issue because shortly after Paul is given a vision of this man calling him to Macedonia. So Paul and his crew, well, Paul goes to his crew, he shares the vision, they discuss it, and they conclude, all right, we have got to go there and preach the gospel. And I think this is the next important thing about contentment is that contentment is not the same as complacency. It can be easy in the name of contentment to breed a heart of apathy, where instead of seeking what's next or seeking where God is calling us, we stay seated and do nothing. We insulate ourselves and go, well, I can't hurt myself if I just don't go. being overly careful not to disturb any kind of peace you may have developed in your life, you no longer go where you're called to. You're careful not to take too many risks. Your joy and satisfaction in life is how carefully you can insulate yourself from discomfort, and in doing so, comfort becomes your idol. Comfort becomes what is contentment, and your satisfaction is found in what is comfortable. The Christian walk is not about comfort. I, I have echoes in my mind of a, uh, a phrase that one of my favorite pastors, Francis Chan, has said. He said that uh, Christians are a lot like manure. If you pile them all up together, it begins to stink. But if you spread them out, things start to grow. 
<laughs> Any of the kids in here, if you've had to go on a trip and you go down 41 and you drive past the dairy farm and you start to smell that smell, you know, you're like, oh, that's, that's the farm. All right, that's the manure. We are called to go. And when I say that, I don't mean that we're all necessarily called to pack up, sell our houses, and go immediately. What I mean is that we are called to be salt and light in this world. There are a lot of people in northeast Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan who need to hear about Jesus. You probably interact with them daily. There are a lot of people in our communities who are hungry and need food. There are a lot of people in our communities who need housing, clothes, basic necessities. And the church needs to step out and care for them. We cannot confuse being comfortable with being content. When we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, we gather together to worship the living God, and then we go to our homes, we go to our jobs, we go to our schools, we go out in our communities, and we need to see them as mission fields. Godly contentment will require us to go and step outside of our comfort zones. Do not confuse contentment with uh, complacency. I think the next question then is, okay, you've made the point. I need to find contentment in Christ. How do I cultivate godly contentment to allow myself to discern when it is time to go, when it is time to stay, when I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, no, no, not there. Instead, go here. How do I do that? Let's continue reading through Acts 16 and talk about it. So, Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the, woman who had, uh, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, and a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, so Paul and crew make their way to Philippi, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, rather than Ephesus, the leading city of the province of Asia. And because of it, a woman named Lydia and her household hear the gospel and their lives are changed forever. Rather than sulking in defeat over a door being shut, Paul and company faithfully walk where God is leading them. In this case, to Philippi, and while they were staying there, they decided to join a group that was in prayer, and they encountered Lydia, who is described as a worshiper of God. Which, by the way, when you come across this title, in the New Testament, it typically means someone who was a Gentile but believed in the Jewish God. They believed in the God of Israel, but they were not of Jewish heritage. So Lydia was primed to hear the gospel of Jesus. And by God's grace, not only did she get baptized, not only did she hear the forgiveness of her sins, she was baptized, but her and her whole household. And I have to imagine there was no doubt in Lydia's mind that it was God's good plan for Paul to be denied access to where he was going to go. 
Could you imagine them sitting around all together? And Paul goes, yeah, it's crazy. I was told by the Holy Spirit, don't go there. And Lydia's like, that's not crazy at all. I am so thankful for that. So how do we cultivate godly contentment so that we do not miss these opportunities? Godly contentment is developed when we walk with the Lord consistently and intentionally each day. The image that comes to mind for me immediately is a funeral of an older saint who has walked with the Lord for a number of years. If you have ever been blessed to attend a funeral like this, you'll know that while there is much grieving in the hearts of everyone there, there is much celebrating of this person's life. And, and almost always, one of the things I love is almost always, the families will have a, a Bible from this, this older saint, right? If you've ever been, been to one of these, you, you know what I'm talking about. There is a, a Bible from one of these older saints, and uh, it'll be completely marked up, right? You'll see that they spend so much of their time walking with the Lord. You will see every note. You'll see every highlight. You'll see all the folds and dents in the Bible. You will see that this was a person who walked with the Lord daily. They spent so much of their time soaked walking in the Lord. But this does not happen overnight, but over the course of a lifetime. Our walk with the Lord happens one step at a time. We need to be consistent and intentional in living our lives in light of the work that he does to have a better grasp on what he has, what and who he has called us to be and how he is called to make impacts in our community. For Paul, it looked like this, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. And what does it look like for someone who is soaked in God's word, someone who has spent so much time in prayer, someone who is living out this gospel walk? Well, uh, we read about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and we just hear the characteristics of someone who is walking with the Lord. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But here's the thing, it, it happens one step at a time, it doesn't just happen overnight. We are works in progress. And it's, it's counter to the world's promise for quick and immediate results, right? We want the quick and immediate result. How do I get these things? How do I get these fruit of the Spirit overnight? I want to be that person right now. It doesn't happen that way. It takes time. I have, uh, I have resisted using this analogy for a while, but I think it fits here, and it'll hopefully help to serve as an illustration as to why it's important to focus on the slow and steady, consistent, intentional steps with God in looking to, to cultivate godly contentment. 2020 was a uh, pretty wild year for us. Am I right? <laughs> I, can, I can tell by the murmuring instead of the yes. You're like, yeah, absolutely, Kristoff, it was. Thanks for taking me back there. Uh, it, was, it was a wild year. I had, I had a bit of a unique experience over the course of the year because uh, not only were we going through uh, this, this pandemic and we were staying away from each other and we were all this stuff, um, but I lost a pretty significant amount of weight over the course of that year. Um, and as we had more time ap apart from each other, and then when we were near one another, we wore masks, I started to look a little bit different. And it wasn't for a while, it wasn't 
uh, too long until at, towards the end of summer that no one recognized me. And it was actually kind of fun because some of you in here right now, I can say I walked past you in the grocery store, I said hi, and you completely ignored me. <laughs> I won't call anyone out, but, but it happened like multiple times. Um, for those of you who, who didn't know me three years ago, I'm going to put a picture up so you can see what I looked like. Um, there I am, hey! That was us, that was us on our uh, summer mission trip. We went down to St. Louis. Uh, if any of the youth are in here, they're probably already sweating just thinking about what it was like being in the St. Louis heat and uh, painting. And it was like August. It was warm. Anyways, you can take that picture away now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I bring this up because I believe that I learned two really important things over the course of this time, over the course of improving my, my physical health, that also taught me a lot about what it meant to help cultivate godly contentment and, and what it looked like to um, just trust in the slow and steady. The first thing I learned is that motivation does not create discipline, right? Discipline tends to create motivation. You can wait a lifetime if you're wait, waiting for just the right motivator to hit to start working on something. What I found is that when I began to cultivate disciplines in my life, my motivation grew. Uh, for my physical health, it started with something as simple as deciding what my morning was going to look like the night before, set my alarm clock, one alarm, by the way, for those of you that have like a, a phone and you set like 15 alarms, I, I don't know how many of you do that, but like for the youth, it's like a thing. They're just like, 4 o'clock, 4.05, 4.10, 4.15, and they just set billions of alarms. One alarm, don't hit the snooze button, wake up. That was the first thing. And the practice began to fuel other areas. In a similar way, in a similar way, godly contentment, spiritual disciplines. If you are waiting for the right sermon, the right Bible study, if you're waiting for the right song on the radio, or maybe you're waiting for that right Christian concert, or maybe you're waiting for that right little God-wink moment to create the motivation behind kickstarting your walk with Jesus, stop. If you feel stale in your walk with God, if you feel distant from him, first of all, know that you are not, you are never too distant from God. But two, the best thing you can do is to go to him right now. Don't wait. Go to him in prayer. Go to him in his word. Sit down with someone with the intention of having a spiritual conversation. Ask them about what God is doing in their life. Talk to them about what God is doing in your life. Or maybe talk to them about how you don't see God doing anything in your life. Maybe they can speak into the fact that God is doing incredible things in your life and you're just not seeing it. Motivation oftentimes does not create discipline. Discipline will create motivation. The second thing I learned was the importance of consistency and intentionality, both of which, by the way, require patience. Consistency requires uh, daily conscious decisions. Uh, for me, with, with the physical side, for me it was daily conscious decisions of what I was eating and how I was moving. And intentionality required that I had a plan of action for what I was going to eat and how I moved. And it took time. It took time developing what that looked like. It didn't just happen overnight. I had to tweak things. I'm still tweaking things three years later. There were plenty of days where I didn't see any sort of movement on the scale or any improvements in the gym, but I trusted the process and kept moving forward. In the same way, if we are going to grow in godly contentment, then we need to be intentional. Intentional. 
about our walk with Jesus. It's not going to be something that just happens. We also have to be consistent. Think back to the saint that I mentioned before with the Bible at their funeral. Each of the marks, each of the notes, each of the bends, each of the folds in their Bible represented someone who spent consistent, intentional time in their Bible, in the morning or in the evening, just marking it, taking time. The life was not cultivated overnight. It was steady, patient, consistent, intentional. I, and I, I, have, I have three simple things, by the way, that you can literally start doing today after church. Um, and, and here's the thing. They're, they're not going to surprise anyone. You're going to go, I hear that every single week in church, Christoph, to which I'll go, yes, because it requires consistency and intentionality, and it's not complicated. It just requires patience. Well, the first thing, make a daily practice of preaching the gospel to yourself. Take time reminding yourself why you are forgiven, what you are forgiven from. If you don't feel like you are, go to God in confession. He is faithful to forgive. Remind yourself of the work that he did on the cross. Remind yourself that he is faithful to forgive. And not only is he faithful to forgive, he is faithful to give you his Holy Spirit and to walk with you for the days of your life. Then remind yourself of the fact that we have an eternity with our God waiting for us. Hallelujah. Second thing, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible. If you're not spending time in God's word, you're missing out on listening to the voice of our God. If you're not reading your Bible right now, I would just suggest opening up the Gospel of John. Opening up the Gospel of John and just reading, reading a chapter. And there are going to be days where you go, I, I, got, I did not hear a thing out of this. And there's going to be some days where you just are going to spend hours, potentially hours, just soaking up God's word. But it begins with starting opening up your Bible. And lastly, again, this is not going to surprise anyone, but spend time in prayer. You mean to tell me that the creator of the universe, the creator of everything, I don't know if you guys saw the pictures that NASA had released this week of, of like galaxies, and, and there are just like, billions of galaxies. We already know that there are billions of galaxies, but we're seeing now like more pictures of what it looks like beyond this. Like the God who created all of that has promised that we can pray to him and that he will listen to us. And yet we diminish prayer to just kind of a phrase that we say sometimes when someone says something that's bad that's going on. We go, oh, I'll pray for you. Spend time in prayer. I don't mean, by the way, to beat anyone up. If you're feeling guilty or, or shame that you are not practicing those things, don't feel that way. God, God does not cultivate shame inside of us. Instead, he, he cultivates conviction. Instead, be excited that today could be the day that you begin cultivating these practices in your life. That's an exciting thing. Ultimately, when it comes to godly contentment, we need to abide in our Savior. It's a phrase that if you hang out here at Faith, for any amount of time, you will hear us talk about it, you'll hear us sing songs about it, abiding in Christ. And we do that because Jesus himself said that we need to abide in him. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me 
and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we, we have hit on, by the way, we have hit on the necessity of growing in godly contentment. Now we have talked about what it looks like to grow in godly contentment. And, and I want to talk about what it looks like when we are content in our walk with Jesus. What ends up happening? What happens when we are spread out so things can grow, right? In, in Acts chapter 15, 6 through 15, we see that, uh, that, that Paul is denied this desire. He goes on to go where God has called him to, and we begin to see um, fruit from it. And we're going to see some more fruit as we go through Acts chapter 16 because Lydia is just the beginning of how God is going to use Paul and his crew here. But let's narrow in on the fact that it's not just Lydia that's saved, right? This is, this is awesome. I, I love this. After Lydia's conversion, it says that her and her household are baptized. This is incredible. The gospel is preached and an entire family is saved. I would venture to say that when godly contentment is exercised, our faith becomes infectious. How could it not? When we are abiding in Christ, when we are growing in the good work that he has done in us, we cannot help but walk in humility, recognizing that this great gift that has been given to us, that he wants to also give to those around us. When we begin to truly, truly understand the depth of our depravity and the magnitude of his grace, how could we not live in such a way as to shine it upon those who are around us? I, I can't get over the fact that Lydia's household is baptized. I am going for a moment to put on my youth minister hat, right? Um, <laughs> so, so parents, this one's for you, all right? Parents, do you know what the greatest factor Study after study shows the greatest factor that plays into a student maintaining their faith when they leave the house, but not just maintaining, also thriving in their faith once they leave their house. Do you know what that number one factor is? I'll give you a hint. It's not the youth group they attend. All right, I know this is not great advertising for uh, faith youth, but <laughs> these are the numbers, all right? Um, it's not the youth group they attend. It's not the mission trips or the lock-ins that they participate in. The greatest factor for kids that live out their faith after they leave the household are, are parents that live out their faith. You know the statement, do as I say, not as I do? It is great in theory, but in reality, your kids are picking up far more on what you do than what you say. And ultimately, they need both. They need to see mom and dad living out their faith. They need to see you intentionally taking time out to pray. They need to see you reading your Bible. They need to see you preaching the gospel to one another. Husbands and wives, if you want to practice something that might be a little bit uncomfortable at first, but might be an incredible blessing to one another, set aside 15 to 20 minutes a week just to tell each other about the gospel of Jesus. Just spend a little bit of time talking about the good news of Jesus and what it means in your life. This, is, this also isn't just for the married couples in here. Listen, if you are single, find someone to talk to about the gospel of Jesus. 
Find someone in here. We have plenty of people in here. And you're like, well, that's weird. Yeah, it is a little bit awkward, but it's the, it's the gospel. And you also don't have to have kids to practice this. This is for everyone. We need to practice reminding ourselves of the good news of Jesus. I am, I am so thankful that Luke, when writing Acts, did not skip over Paul's desire to enter Asia and I'm also thankful for the fact that Paul, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit denied him access. It challenges me to remember that if I ever begin to think that the grass is greener on the other side, maybe it's not time to go on the other side, maybe it's time to begin to water my field. If I can, if I can sum everything up a little bit neatly, it would be this. Grow where you are planted, Go when you are commanded. Practicing godly contentment will help you know which God is calling you to in this moment. I'm going to finish with a, uh, a quote from a favorite theologian of mine, 4th century theologian, St. Augustine. Uh, and then we will pray and we'll welcome the worship team back up and, and finish um, our worship this morning. But, um, and, and I'm going to use the thee-thou version because I think it's poetic and, and I like it. I like it, so we're going to go with it. Thou hast made me for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you did not allow Paul to go into Asia, into Ephesus in Acts chapter 16. Lord, I thank you for examples of trusting your direction. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, this morning, we would leave with a desire to be content, to find joy, to find satisfaction, to find fulfillment in only you. Lord, I pray this morning that if, if over the course of, of reading your word, we had any sort of things pop up into our hearts or into our minds, that, that we go, I am finding joy and satisfaction in these things other than you, Lord, that you would help us to, to repent of those Give them to you. Help us to know that we are forgiven. And Lord, help us to put you at the center. Help us to find our joy and satisfaction only in you. Lord, I pray that as we go from here this morning, we would be lights in our houses, in, in our jobs, in our schools, in our communities, God, that you would help us to spread your good news. Lord, help us not to seek comfort. Help us to seek your, uh, your, your desire, your will, your direction. Lord, I pray that you would use us to grow your good news, and I pray that a movement throughout Northeast Wisconsin and the UP of your gospel would spread. Lord, humble us. Help us to rest in you. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.